0: So, um, we continue our series on community, Um, and we begin with, as always, Nigel being given the hugest theological thing to preach about that there is possible to preach about, which has libraries full of books and thoughts and ideas. So, you ready? The Trinity. (laughs) Right, what is the Trinity, everybody? It is... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, that is what, in part of what I do is marketing and PR, and that is what we call good branding. What you'll see in front of you is the Celtic version of the traditional symbol of the Trinity. And it's brilliant. It's such a good logo. Sorry to bring it down to that level, but it kind of says everything. It is one sign joined together, You can see there's distinct parts to it, but they're the same. They're united. I know that there are people in churches who think that academic theology is a waste of time and really should be consigned to the past. Now, as a former academic theologian, I would say to you, please shut up and leave it alone, because there is a reason for theology. The reason for academic theology is to take the incredibly complex, universe-encompassing, wonderful, wonder-making idea of God and make it comprehensible enough that when I say the word Trinity, you know what I mean. Without all of that work, it is just a word. Now, I know that most of you are really good Bible-believing Christians. Yes? Yeah? And if it's not in the Bible, you don't want to believe it. Is that right? hate to say this, guys. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. <laughs> it is a word which is used to cover an incredibly rich, important concept. Father, Son. Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. Now, the idea of one God in three persons, that is all over the Bible. I mean, it appears first in Genesis 1, and it goes all the way through to the end. I mean, an example, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. That is biblical. That's pretty Trinitarian. There's also the end of Matthew where... Uh, Jesus says to go out and make disciples and baptise them in the name of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So the idea of the Trinity is really, really key. But think a moment about this, because I'm not going to go into a huge, long lecture on the Trinity. I don't have the energy, I don't have the desire. What I do think we need to take into account is some really, really important stuff. The Father... Is not like the Son. The Son is not like the Spirit, and the Spirit is not like the Father. They are not united by their likeness. Their distinctness, their difference is utterly key to what they do. They are united by one thing. Love. Now, I'm really aware. I, you know, I find myself overwhelmed so often with the privilege when I'm up here. And I'm only up here because I'm too short to be down there. But I find myself overwhelmed with the privilege of being up here. But I also find myself being completely blown away by the fact that we know that already there is nothing new under the sun. I stand up here every time I preach, and I know that Al and Gareth and the others feel the same way. We're not telling you stuff that is new. This is the truth of God. And I find myself thinking, how is this still so radical? 2,000 years we've known father son holy spirit trinity united by love not likeness and yet it is still utterly radical and what happens is that the trinity encompasses us because if if you go we're called to share the relationship of the trinity we are invited into relationship by god yes father son holy spirit and nigel i mean you can put your own name in there obviously nigel's the most important one obviously because i'm standing here we're invited to commune with god we're united with god how is it that we're called we're called by God not because we're like Him, but because He loves us. And the love which unites Father, Son, and Holy Spirit unites us. We're embraced, we're included, we are welcome. We are communing with God. We are invited into relationship, the same relationship as the son has with the father, as the father has with the spirit, as the spirit has with the son. And I haven't got the words to tell you what that means. I mean, I've run out. Guys, you are loved. Shall we go home? (laughs) That's the most important thing. And I can't, I just, if you don't know who this God is, and it just seems like some kind of weird thing that people talk about in this building, Let me invite you to know him. I invite you to respond to his invitation. He says, I love you. We'll get to the verse in a minute, but it's the right point to do it now. I love you with an everlasting love. I have called you by name. You are mine. You may feel like you've done nothing in your life worthy of that call, and you haven't. And if there's anyone sitting in here who thinks, well, I'm a good person. God loves me because I'm good. He doesn't because you ain't. God loves you because he loves you. And he calls you because he loves you. And he encompasses you because he loves you. And he invites you into relationship because he loves you. And the Trinity becomes a quadrinity, I suppose it would be. But actually, it's eternal. Because... As a community of faith, we are all called by that same love. And we are united with God by love. So, Trinity, God, united with each part by love. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, united by love. Includes me by love. Includes you by love. How can I not love you like he loves me? How can you not love me like he loves you? And it's such a humongous idea. I find my mind just, I can't get hold of it. And it's so obvious. And you're sitting there thinking, or you might be sitting there thinking, well, yeah, duh. But the truth, this is still radical. The church has been in existence for 2,000 years. And I dare you, I dare you to tell me we've got this right. I mean, I can get quite passionate. That I'll get passionate about. We're such a diverse group. And actually, we weren't the first ones because the first group we see is the disciples. Jesus calls his disciples together and he calls them and they're united by love. And we've heard already in the last few sermons about the 12, just to get pedantic, the 12 are not the disciples. They are called out from among the disciples, the 12 are the apostles. However, that's the list of people we've got and you just have to look at Simon the Zealot Matthew, the tax collector, to know how diverse that is. Because Simon the Zealot was a political nutter who wanted Rome out. Matthew worked for Rome. But actually, there's an even better example of the diversity and the tension which exists amongst the disciples. Peter says, no, Jesus, you ain't doing that. I mean, you've got to really hit a nerve when Jesus turns around to you and says... Get behind me, Satan. No, you'd all all cope with that. I have to say, if Sophie turned around to me and said, Nigel, get behind me, Satan, I'd think I'd done something wrong. But that's what he does. But they are held together not by their likeness, not by the fact that they are all the same. They are not. And the whole point that they're held together is they're not. Because they're held together by love, not like. We are not liked into the kingdom. We are loved into God's kingdom. I'm trying to find where my uh, example is. Uh, I've completely lost my place. There it is, right. So we come to this verse brought together. John 13, 34 to 35. This is the New Living Translation. This is what Jesus calls us to. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I think that's wrong. Because it's very clear to me with the history of the church. What proves that we're disciples is our judgmentalism. Oh, no, sorry. Sorry, I'll get mixed up. No, what proves we're Jesus' disciples is the fact that we sing songs that were written after 1989. No, 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 sorry. What proves that we're his disciples is that we're all extroverts. Or that we pray when we kneel. Or that we, no. You see, that's the problem, isn't it? This is so simple, and we have got it wrong so often. And I get it wrong all the time, and you do too. How will they know we are his disciples? By our, really, Mm -hmm. by our, for one another, our love, not by our likeness not by how similar we do things. They will not know we are Christians by our music or our extroversion or our introversion or even, to be really radical, they won't know we're Christians by our righteousness. Doesn't say that. They will know we're Christians by our love. As individuals, our love, we are loved by God. We are called by God into relationship. We exist at the center of the heart of God by love. He loves us. We love him. And as a community, we are called to imitate that Trinitarian love in that way. That's really obvious, isn't it? So let's make it even more obvious. Can I have a volunteer? This is, I promise, this won't be embarrassing or terrible. A volunteer from that group of people over there. Just anybody, please, somebody stand up and come and help me. Thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs> and can I have a volunteer from this centre lot? Anybody, I don't care which. Come on, come on, quick, quick, quick. And one from the left, please. Come, come, somebody. Just anybody. Thank you, Debbie. Oh, no, thank you. That's fine. He's closer. No, it's not. But you look like a Debbie. <laughs> can you guys come and stand next to each other? Right. So, these guys. Right, you'll notice first of all, the only thing they have in common is that they're human. They are different. They're completely different. Okay? Do you get that? Could you make a circle and hold hands together, please, if you don't mind? Thank you. Do you see this? They are now one, they're together. That is how the Trinity is united, but the thing that unites them isn't actually their hands, it's their love for one another completely different but they love each other can I have one more volunteer anybody at all quickly now thank you Alison could you please join that circle Alison you will see is another person she has now joined that circle that circle is not lessened by her joining it I know Alison it's really not lessened she's amazing (laughs) But this circle now encompasses them all. And they're united by their hands, but by their love. Do you get that? Right, now I'm going to ask for something quite big. You don't have to do this if you don't want to, or if you can't. Anybody who wants to join this circle, please stand up and join the circle and see how big we'll make it. Everybody and anybody, please, guys. Don't be shy, wherever you are in the room, I'm not joining because I have a cold, I am here, I dragged myself out of my deathbed this morning in order to make it here. Anybody and everybody, if you're sitting there thinking, I don't know, it's a bit embarrassing, yes it is, carry on anyway. (laughs) Think how embarrassing it is for these, it's not embarrassing at all and if we could try and unite the circle, that would be really good, okay, please, thank you. Quick, quick, you can talk to each other as you do it. You don't have to do it by humble mumming. Okay. Now look around you. Look around you. You are all different, you are all united. You're the body of Christ. You're called together for a purpose. And the purpose is actually to show love to the world. And the way the world recognises it is how you show your love to one another. And I hate to get challenging on this. But that means some of us have to make peace. Right at the beginning of this, and I'm going to pray this now. This is a bit mad right at the beginning of this i'm going to pray heavenly father would you break stone hearts in jesus name and give us hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone now i know this is really an obvious obvious illustration but it's good isn't it you can sit down there if you want to i mean you can carry on standing like if you like it's just a bit disconcerting So, we are called into God's, into union with God, into our togetherness with God in the Trinity by love. Do you get that? Yes? I mean, I couldn't make it much clearer without a big hammer, could I, really? But I think this is a fair statement. If you know the love of God, hospitality is not an option. It is simply the natural consequence the title of this sermon we'll get to it see is community trinity and hospitality and you may have sat there many times probably while i was preaching thinking i wish he would get to the point that makes it not academic but actually about our real lives yes don't have to admit that some of you are smiling quite knowingly (laughs) this is the point see if we have received God's love genuinely, we can't help but show it. And if we're not showing it, that asks a big question a really big, uncomfortable question. Because Jesus says they will know who we are by our love for one another, not by whether we're right but by our love. And my God, that is a hard thing to take on. If hospitality is the natural consequence, that means we have to show hospitality. Hospitality is the practical outworking of love. If the Trinity calls us into an embrace a union, a commune with God, that is hospitality. It is the act which shows that love. I sound much heavier in my own ears than I'm feeling because it's not actually a big, heavy thing. I mean, in one sense, right, hospitality isn't about cups of tea and cake. I mean, that is really something we need to get hold of. Just because you give someone a cup of tea doesn't mean you're being hospitable. But on the other hand, it is kind of about cups of tea and cake. (laughs) Because people kind of know they're loved when you give them things with no strings attached. None of us can come into God's presence because we are good enough. Is there anyone who disagrees with that? That's a bit of a challenging one, isn't it? I'll do that again. None of us can come into God's presence because we're good enough. Who agrees with that? Oh, nobody. Okay, right. That's <laughs> it's called grace, okay? God doesn't invite us into relationship and love with him because we deserve it. God invites us because he loves us, that is grace. Hospitality is the practical outworking and showing of grace. Unfortunately, as churches, as a church, sometimes we think people should be more like us before they're welcome. Not godly. Sorry, hard, hard to hear and say. Because we are shown love by God, we should show love to one another. We should show love to the other, the stranger, the person who's not part of our group, yes? Because of God's grace for us, how can we show any less grace for other people? That's really hard. Hospitality is not an act of like. It's an act of love. It means you don't have to like the person you're being hospitable to. You have to love them. And it means you don't have to be like the person you're being hospitable to. You have to love them. And it's really hard. I am not standing up here sharing this to say, you know what, guys? I've got it down pat. And anyone who knows me (laughs) knows I haven't. God's love transcends this thing of like and likeness. Hospitality is an act of grace and love far more than tea and cake. You see it in the Bible, Abraham and the three visitors. He welcomes them because he welcomes them. We see it. When Jesus' feet are anointed, what an act of grace and love. Just lavish, I love the word lavish, lavish generosity. And we see it when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. If you want something to read this afternoon, read John 14, I think it's 14. I can never remember, 13 or 14 read it Jesus washes the disciples feet and he doesn't do it because they're like him and he doesn't do it because it will make them like him and he doesn't do it because he thinks it's a good thing to do he does it because his root and foundation it says is in the father he knows who he is therefore he got up and washed his disciples feet so just phenomenal stuff And this is not new. And I'm so sorry if you're bored and sitting there thinking, oh, they're telling us the same thing over and over again. It's just the right thing to take. It's just right to love the other person. But we have to know that we have permission to love, okay? First of all, you have permission to love as you. Some of you are really outgoing and love being around people. I think the traditional name for that is extrovert. So I'm not one of them. I know some people won't agree with that because they'll say he's up the front, he's always no. Believe me. I go through the floor when somebody, when I walk into a room, I find it so hard. And you know when they say things like Al did this morning where they say, I want you to turn around to the person next to you, pray for each other and just just swap clothes. (laughs) Okay, maybe I went a bit far. I want to crawl under my chair at that point. Now, I know that asking this is just stupid. But is there anyone who feels like that as well? The trouble is, if you feel like that, you're not going to say so. <laughs> See, hospitality is not a practice of extroversion, it's an overflow of love. And I still love people because God loved me first. And hospitality doesn't always look the same for everyone. And I just Feel, it's really important. I confess I am an introvert. Some of you can confess you're extroverts. Everybody will be on a scale because I know it's not one or the other. I do understand that. But you're allowed to still be that. It's okay. And the second thing is, you have permission to be loved as you see you are called by grace because God loves you he didn't call you because you do anything or done anything and for some reason when we become part of the Christian church we seem to feel that we have to then perform and fit in you don't and if anybody thinks you do and this is a deeply theological term stuff them it doesn't matter because god doesn't think you need to do that oh god loves you so much now i am blessed to be the father of five children and i that's why i look so great and i can tell you this i love my children doesn't matter what they do doesn't matter what their personalities like they've all had the same upbringing they've all had the same Abuse, frankly, of jokes from their father and kindness from their mother. (sighs) And they're all different and I still love them. It doesn't matter who you are and what you're like on the inside. And some of you will, when you pray and seek God, will want to curl up inside because you feel so rubbish about yourself. God loves you. You can be who you are. So you have permission to love as you. You have permission to be loved as you. Sorry, I didn't even go to that. And this is the reason we know. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. That is what God says about you. It doesn't say on that, I have drawn you with an everlasting love as long as you wear checked trousers and a hat or as long as you speak out at the right points and sit down at the right points. It doesn't say that. It says, I love you with an everlasting love, period. Well, it's not period. It's kind of a colon, but you know. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I just find that tingly. And so this is the passage. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Just a few things to say as I bring this to land before we do something together. First of all, it can be really messy. I'm not standing up here saying, well, if you, if you only loved each other enough, everything would be perfect. It won't be. It just won't be. And if you can find that in the Bible for me, then I'd be really happy to be taught. I've read quite a lot of it, uh, actually all of it, at some point. I haven't taken it all in, if I'm honest. But it doesn't say in the Bible, you know, if you're loved, it all turns out okay and it's easy. I mean, for most of the people in the Bible, the beginning of their troubles (laughs) was when they were loved by God. (laughs) because they suddenly have to change. Because the second thing is this, it can be really uncomfortable. Love is uncomfortable. And anyone who says, genuinely, anyone who says that as long as you love people, everything will be flowers and fluffy and easy, they're lying, or they're deluded, or they're just not right. Jesus loves you with an everlasting love the disciples he loved who we've talked about they all had problems why should you be any different it's okay it's all right it can be messy it can be uncomfortable but in hospitality the expression of love and grace I'm telling you this it is truly evangelistic and it is life-changing I would say if there's one thing I've learned in my years as a Christian is this. When somebody genuinely comes into the presence of God, they are changed. Now, it can be that they shut down and they reject it. That can be the change that happens. But often it's not. It's they open up and they say, I didn't know. Who is this God? And then the journey of the life of a Christian is the transformation that takes place. You see, there is grace. We can come into the presence. It does not matter. God loves you, whatever your sexuality or gender, whatever your politics, whatever football team you support, whatever your nationality, whatever your colour, whatever anything. God loves you. It is an undeniable fact from Scripture. It is just incontrovertible. God loves people. but when people come into God's presence, they change to reflect God. And it is not my job to tell people what they should look like. And it's not your job either. It's God's job. Now, sometimes God speaks through us, but God's voice is always the voice of grace and love. God, save me from the times when I sound unloving. So, one last thing. Just to prove how transforming and amazing hospitality, grace, love shown are. Can I ask a question? And if it would be really helpful to me, whether you're introverted, extroverted, or ultroverted or whatever it might be, ambiverted it would be, wouldn't it? It'd be ambiverted. God, I like that word. <laughs> If on your journey to becoming a Christian or to be on your journey as a Christian, you have been encouraged, changed, transformed, loved by another Christian who just was there for you, could you stand up, please? Look around. That's how powerful hospitality is, because that's what happens. So, you can sit down again now. I just wanted to make the point. Um, We're coming into land. I couldn't think of a better way to do this than by taking communion together. Okay. It's really important that we understand that communion, whether you have it in this cup or a shared cup, whether it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic, whether it's pink, blue, green, yellow, whatever means the same thing, and it means this. This is the sign of God's love. For 2,000 years, we and countless other Christians, from countless other traditions, from unbelievably different people, who, frankly, we wouldn't like to the ones we would passionately follow, have taken this. And the reason I've taken it is because on the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus, who loved us so much that he would hang on a cross, looking down on the people who were crucifying and still love them, took bread and he broke it, just like his body. And he said, this is the symbol of my body broken for you do this as often as you meet together in remembrance of the thing I've done. And after that, he took a cup which had wine in it and he said, this cup represents a new covenant sealed by my blood. As often as you drink it, you are remembering that covenant. This blood is the love of God in its purest symbolic form, whether you are a sacramentalist or not. And what I want us to do as we close is as a body, there are stations with the bread and the wine to come and receive bread and wine Give it to one another. Serve one another. If you don't want to be with anyone else, don't. That's fine. But we're just going to close as we listen to music and we just spend time together taking communion. So, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you.